the world's out there waiting for your gift. And so if you want to sit and, and hold back and not provide it, cool. The world will never get it. But if you are willing to put yourself out there, take a risk, every single person that you've ever looked up to, idolized, tried to emulate, they did that step already. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everyone, before we get started, I have some really exciting news for you. Our famous Fast Foundations Mastermind for all entry-level and early-stage entrepreneurs is now open for enrollment once again. Now, I can promise you that this is hands down the best early stages and entry-level mastermind that is out there, I promise, and for about half the price of everyone else's. But I don't want you to take my word for it. Listen to some of these past members' experiences. My name is James Dunn, and Fast Foundations gave me a family of like-minded entrepreneurs that I know I can count on for support, for guidance, and to help get me through any challenge I'll ever run into in my business. My name is Leanne, and Fast Foundations showed me a step-by-step roadmap and a process to implement into my business immediately, and I saw measurable results right away. My name is Alex Street and Fast Foundations helped me build my first course and confidently now do what I'm made for. Listen, all those breakthroughs you just heard are just the tip of the iceberg. We have so many more of them. And if you make less than $499,000 a year as an entrepreneur, I want you to lock arms with us and we want to help your business explode over the next five and a half months. So here's what you do. Rush over to fastfoundations.com. Literally right now, go to fastfoundations.com because seats are really limited and they're going really quickly. And this thing kicks off the very first week of March. So if you want to be in this room with us working on your business and hearing all the secrets that we've used to make our brands explode, drop what you're doing and go over to fastfoundations.com and claim your spot right away. We can't wait to work with you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really excited for you to listen to today's episode because we're getting personal. I actually went and got my personal trainer, Abe Maynard, the one that you see in my Instagram all the time, especially when we're doing Philosophy Fridays. I went out and I begged him to come on the show and kind of do a live version of these random questions I always ask him during Philosophy Friday. You guys have been DMing me a ton that you wanted to hear from him or it might be fun to hear from him. So that is what we're doing today. We're sitting down in person and I'm just going to throw questions at him, uh, both about my training goals and about the goals that you face as a busy entrepreneur, what you should be making a priority. And by the way, um, I think some of his answers are going to surprise you on what you should prioritize. It'll move the needle for everything else. He was nominated as Equinox Trainer of the Year in 2019. Think about that. Equinox is like the greatest gym out there you could possibly work at and uh, they have tons of locations across the US. So to be nominated as trainer of the year, that shows you just how high level he is. He's been my personal trainer for a couple of years and he's just an all around incredible, brilliant human being. So listen, this is one of those episodes that's going to apply to not just your business, but also your personal life because we know that one thing affects the other and it's all full circle. So get ready, listen up, take some notes 
because here we go. All right, my man, my trainer turned friend, turned partner in, uh, what do we call it? Philosophy Friday. Philosophy Friday. Abe Maynard, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, man. I'm stoked to be here. I am really so pumped to do this episode because, okay, here's where this episode came from. Some of you already know this. Those of you that follow me on Instagram, uh, you know that I go to work out with my trainer three days a week. And on Fridays, for some reason, our energy is different and we just go down the rabbit hole about really interesting topics. So we started coining them Philosophy Fridays. So while he would train me for an hour, um, we would go down the rabbit hole about you know life's issues and we'd try and solve them. And I would start posting these little Philosophy Friday rants, uh, nothing significant in my stories. And you guys all start DMing me being like, share more about your Philosophy Fridays or <laughs> share more about what Abe said or what you guys talk... You guys literally started DMing me asking, what did you talk about with Abe at Philosophy Friday without me even posting it. So it went from that to why don't I just have him on the dang show? And that's how we ended up here today. So how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. You know, it's it's actually funny to be completely honest. I hit this point earlier today where I was... Part of me wanted to cancel. Mm-hmm. Not because I didn't want to do the show, but yep. it, life just does that. And you're like, I don't know, you know, obligation socially and going and doing this and like trying to respect the boundaries that you put in your personal life, etc. And now that I'm actually here, I couldn't be more stoked that we both got it on our calendars last week, decided that we were going to commit to doing it, did it, and then we're here versus our schedules are crazy busy. Yours is insane. There's so many reasons why could pop up and us not do this. So I'm I'm really stoked. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, and It's going to be awesome to give your listeners something that they've been wondering about. Who knows? Maybe this will turn into a regular thing. Yeah, like, that would be great. We'll see what the feedback <laughs> is. So guys, as you listen to this episode, as you hear things that you like, uh, DM Abe at Abe Maynard, A-B-E-M-A-Y-N-A-R-D, yep. at Abe Maynard. DM me. You know, I'm Chris W. Harder. And let us know what you like and if we should do this show on the regular uh, or if you how often you want to hear from us. Okay, so... Abe, something you probably don't know is we start all of our shows with uh, rapid fire. It's kind of a fun way for my listeners to get to know you uh, in a hurry. And then if anything really good comes up, we'll circle back around, do a deep dive later on it. You down? Perfect. Okay, let's do it. Start real easy. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Ah, and where do you live now? I live in Santa Monica, California. Duh. I guess that one was obvious. (laughs) Why could I practically walk in? (laughs) What's one of your favorite quotes? Unfortunately, this is very like timely but consistency is king i think is it's something that i've i live by as an athlete is something i look to up to you know and other athletes that i saw success in and it's something that through my life as a trainer is definitely like held true and that's true for anything that i've seen clients try to accomplish anything i've tried to see my friends try to accomplish is it doesn't matter how like complex or crazy your plan is if you don't stick to it it doesn't matter and if you have a plan that's very simple, but you do it every single day and you stay consistent to the small things, I mean, you can literally achieve whatever you want. So yeah. that's something that I try to live by on a weekly basis. I was probably subconsciously planning on having a much more philosophical quote on deck, but I mean, <laughs> no, it, it pops there, in your head for a reason, Listen, right? there's nothing more important than something as doable and as real as consistency is king because it's true, right? Yeah. Okay, next one. One of your superpowers. What is one of your superpowers? I'm personable. Yeah, I totally agree with that. What is one of your favorite books? Catcher in the Rye. 100%. Why? I've, ever since I, I was 
mandated to read it in high school, as I'm sure like every single person on the planet was. But something about that book connected with me at a really young age. And I've probably reread it five or six times. It was one of the first five books that I bought. And I just, I love the story. It's just like a very raw account of this kid just growing up and dealing with random things in his life that occur. There's nothing extravagant about it. But I've always identified with some aspects of the character Holden Caulfield and the way that he sees the world. That's really cool. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments so far in your young 30 years? Sticking out of my mind, of course, was Junior Olympics, my senior year, getting second place. That kind of set the tone for like my accomplishments as an athlete. And it's something that I look back on that all the time. I reference my career as a skier all the time, even though at this point I'm 31, it, you know, it's almost half my life ago. But that experience, training that hard for something, working that hard all year and having everything come together on one day and being able to like really enjoy the fruits of your labor was like, I mean, life-changing for That's, sure. We're definitely circling back around on that one. A uh, couple more. What is something you're challenged by right now? Not doing things that I don't want to do. Oh God, we talk yeah. about that a lot on <laughs> Philosophy Friday. We're definitely going into that. A couple more here. What's something generous you've done recently? I got, I mean, it would be a longer story, but I got my family members something that they really needed for something that they wanted to do that I had extra of. Mm -hmm. And it allowed them to go on and pursue something that they're now very passionate about. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. And last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Breath of fresh air, man. Being alive. Yeah. Being here. Especially in the frame of things. Yeah. You know, as we are recording this as a couple of days after the, the Kobe Bryant tragedy and things like that, they sure make you grateful for the most simple thing in life of waking up alive and healthy. Mm -hmm. Like what more do we need than that? And you live your life. We'll get into that in the podcast. In fact, here's where we move into the more meaningful stuff. You live your life in one of the most incredible ways of anyone I've ever seen of all my friends. You're happy all the time. You live life on your terms. You want for nothing, at least from what I can tell. How did you get to this point? How do you live life so damn happy and so damn satisfied? Well, one, I appreciate that. But I think that it's probably not all true. I think that part of the human condition is to experience highs and lows. It's necessary. For us to appreciate that things are so great, we have to go through different struggles, hardships, whatever. I think everyone has to go through that. But it's definitely been different like valleys in my life that have led me to really pursue a more present, conscious mind. So things like meditation have played a massive role in my life. It's something that I like pushed away from my mom tried to basically get me to meditate like my entire adolescence. Mm -hmm. So turned off by the idea. I thought it was just like woo-woo hippie shit that my mom <laughs> liked. Uh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't into it, wasn't into it as an athlete, which in hindsight, I'm like pulling my hair out knowing how valuable it would have been to have that kind of clarity in competition. But that type of practice in my life has been instrumental in my ability to have a general state of well-being, knowing that like I don't need to be laugh out loud happy all the time, mm -hmm. but I don't need to be super down and depressed all the time either. And somewhere in the middle, there's that kind of like stoic even keel where you can take in the things that are going on in life, digest them, recognize that your thoughts are just something that are going to happen and you're not necessarily attached to them, and then move on and be appreciative for, I think, the things that matter the most 
which are being surrounded by people you love and being lost. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, you being an athlete saying, hey, I wish I would have had meditation back then. Tell us, I want you to go all the way back to when you were in the Junior Olympics as a skier. I mean, you thought that you were taking the route of being an Olympian, right? And that's yeah. what you spent every single day leaving school early for training. Is that correct? I like... There was nothing else I thought about. Take us back there at that moment in time. What was going on? What did you think the world was going to look like? I thought that no matter what, I would make the US Olympic team my senior year, which I didn't. I made, I was 12 spots. I was nine spots away from making the US ski team that year, but I didn't graduate in the Olympic year, so it wouldn't have happened anyway. So I would have had to go forego my education, go to college, and then take at least a year off where I could just compete really, really intensely, try to make the U.S. team, and then in the Olympic qualifying year, qualify for the Olympics and go. So I thought 100%, I'm going to qualify for the Olympics, I'm going to go. I'm going to have this incredible experience as an athlete. And obviously, every athlete wants to win gold, win gold, and then my life would be a professional athlete mm-hmm. and everything that comes along with that. So that shaped like every behavior in high school that made me choose practice and training and exercise over some aspects of my social life. It made me study harder on tests so that my parents would be off my back so I could go and travel. It made me try to do really well in school so that my teachers would be off my back so that I had the freedom to go and travel and compete in different countries and do all this stuff. So it, it was very frontal in my brain the entire time that I was going through. I think what, when other people are going through high school, it's a lot of just BS that's kind of going on. And it helped me kind of cut through that and stay focused on this like objective. Now, what did you learn getting so close to the Olympics and, and performing at that high level as, as a young guy? What did you learn that's translated into all the success you're having right now in your adult life? I think I learned that to achieve things that you really want to happen, you definitely have to make sacrifices. So you're going to have to choose between things that are fun and give you a reward in the short term for things that might be a little more difficult or durable that give you a payoff in the long term. Mm-hmm. I also learned that not everything goes your way all the time. There was a lot of like broken ski poles, <laughs> angry moments uh, with coaches, frustration as an athlete when you work so hard for something, you train so hard for it, and then you go and, and you come up short and it's not your day and it's someone else's day and how to, to handle that and learn that whether it's training for getting on the Olympics, building a business, uh, being a decent employee, all these kind of things, there's going to be moments where life jars you or you think that you deserve the promotion and somebody else gets it. Mm-hmm. Or you think that your product should be selling off the shelves and someone buys the other one. If those deter you from wanting to pursue the thing that you are really after, then you're screwed. Mm-hmm. And you get funneled into that group of people that get stuck there. Mm-hmm. So it taught me that perspective that like, even if things aren't going exactly how you want them, if you really, really want what you, go, you, you say you do, then you'll overcome it just like it's another mogul on the ski run, so to speak. Yeah. So it's just one more challenge and you overcame so many dang challenges at a high level that that, that became your default. Your, your default is not to quit. It's not to say, oh, I can't do this. You just find your way around the mogul. Try. Yeah, or try. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we had that moment this morning, right? I got the bad news about a company exactly. that we're trying to start and it wasn't, we can't do it. It was, we just have to do it differently now. Exactly. And, and that's a default for you and I. We're talking about in the backyard. That is so powerful that if people could only get there, 
if they can only get to that point where their default is this or something better, or not if, but how, that alone is, is so powerful. Okay, that's one of a million tiny examples of why I love working out with you and, and why we ended up doing these Philosophy Fridays and how we ended up sitting here today. But the real reason we ended up sitting here today was recently, right after the new year, we were starting to work out. I hadn't seen you in a couple of weeks or a week or something like that. And you asked me this one key question and we went down the rabbit hole with it. And it was this. You said, okay, Chris, what is the one thing? And let me frame this better before I give the question. I spent the entire last year not feeling like I was as fit as all the years past. I felt like I traded business and travel and experience and chaos and all these other things for living my healthiest life. And I told you this year, I want to, I have to, I demand to get back to this really fit version of myself where I I loved who I was. And so then you said to me, you said, okay, what is the one thing that you can clean up this year that will move the needle for everything else that you're trying to accomplish too? Do you remember what my answer was? No. It's alcohol. Alcohol. It's alcohol. (laughs) Yep. And um, we went down the rabbit hole and I realized, oh my God, if I can not stop drinking, but drink less. And by the way, if you're listening, it's not like I'm some raging alcoholic or something like that. (laughs) Because I have so many dinner meetings. Because I have so many guys nights out with people I'm trying to build relationship capital with. Because I travel so much. It offers a lot of opportunity to have a drink here, a drink there, a wine here, a wine there. So um, we determined that if I made the goal of just less alcohol, meaning when I was going to have one, I should have none. And when I was going to have two or three, I should have one. That that would move the needle on everything else. Because when I drink alcohol, then I grab the fries and I eat those two. And if I haven't ordered yet, then I order the sloppy sandwich instead of the salad or the salmon. Like... It, it literally has a bearing once I start having those drinks on everything else, including when I would show up for our workouts the next day. Yep. And remember the, like the red wine hangovers and all that? I'd be like, oh, I was out with Chris King and those guys last night. And, and we'd have a mediocre workout mm-hmm. because I spent the night having a few too many wines. So that was my one thing that if I moved the needle on just that one thing, it would move the needle on everything else for me. I want to put the question back on you. What is the one thing? That you're going to clean up this year in order to move the needle on a lot of your goals? I, it, it probably goes back to my biggest challenge is that saying, you know, saying no to things that it's not that I don't want to do them, they're just not in line with where I want to go. And being firm on that and knowing that being honest with people and saying that you don't want to do something, one, it, it's honesty. So you pass the ball, now it's in their court. They can handle your honesty however they want to do it. That's up mm-hmm. to them. But it also puts you in a position where then in the future, if you do accept an invitation, you do decide to go on a trip, you do go to an event, it means something because mm-hmm. you want to be there. So you're going to bring your full best version of yourself there. And then that person probably appreciates it too because you're not coming to their event half-assed, yeah. wishing that you weren't there. Yeah. Um, so saying, But saying no to obligations that you don't want to do is going to free up more energy and mental clarity for me to pursue other things. Okay, I'm trying to get better at this, at saying no to the small things. I made a commitment to do it this year. How do you do it? Because I've noticed you, you've gotten really good at this. And you give me stories like, <laughs> yeah, I just told the guy no. And I told him, nope, I don't feel like doing that with you. How did you get so good at that? 
I think so. There's something to touch on here, which goes back to what what you were saying with this alcohol thing. It's like behavioral psychologists now know that everything that we do are largely shaped more than anything by habit. So everything that you do is a habit. Getting up, going to your gym at the same time, that's a habit that you do. Getting up and going, this is an interesting point, but with the loss of your dog, your habit is to get up and take care of waffles. You get up and all of a sudden you're trying to take care of waffles habitually. And you told me that week, you did, it's like you, there was this void. You didn't, that's, mm-hmm. Your brain has this habit of what you do without you even knowing what, mm-hmm. what it is. For some people, that's walking the dog. For some people, that's French fries that are led into by alcohol. For some people, that's a drink as soon as they sit down to dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the habit can be constantly accepting invitations to things you don't want to because you can't deal with the social awkwardness of being forward with someone. So it's not necessarily saying no, but it's how do you build the habit into your life of prioritizing your boundaries and your schedule over that person's obligation? Because at the end of the day, that person wants you to do whatever it is. That's why they're inviting you. But if you meet that truly with honesty and say, I can't do it, and this is why, if they want to feel weird about that, that's on them. Yeah. And then when you do that, you go, oh, wait, this isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. I can do this all the time. That starts to change the habit. So then you're, the habit, when someone asks you a question, pitches you an idea, invites you to a lunch, your habit comes, think about it. Mm-hmm. Then respond with, well, what is the best thing for me to do? Because it is your schedule. Mm-hmm. And then you respond. I had this happen two days ago. Someone was telling me about this amazing event that they went to and that they would be hosting one soon. And I could see where it was going. Yeah. It was, it was like three minutes away from an invite. And in my head, I started laughing. I was because I'm like, I'm not gonna go to this. Right. Right. <laughs> and so before it even got asked, and then when they said, I said, you know what? To be completely respectful of your time and your event and the fact that I know that there's a limited amount of spaces available to go to this, I have to decline. I'm gonna be coming back from a trip. I know that that weekend is going to be important to me to recharge. I have no plans that weekend. I don't know what they are. I'm just, I know I'm going to need to take a second. So respectfully, I decline. I hope that the person that can go loves it. And in the future, let me know because I'd love to do that one day. And did you mean it when you said, I'd love to do it in the future? Yeah, dead serious. And they were like, the thing is, people people know how to handle someone being flaky. Mm -hmm. Going, ah, well... Who's going or whatever? Yeah. Oh, come on. Let's come to the event, do the thing. People don't really know how to handle like blunt honesty. Mm-hmm. So the person was like, oh, um, okay. They're a okay. little bit shocked. Cool. Yeah. You literally like, told them, hey, <laughs> yeah. I got no plans that weekend, but I just don't want to go. Right. I'm going to be tired. But they, at the end of it, they were like, awesome. Well, yeah. I'll, the next time that we do one, I'd love to invite you. That's- so it's like, they didn't take it the wrong way because I was being straightforward. It was nothing about them or the event. It was just that that's not the right thing for me to do that weekend. And when you put your foot down on your own, your own agenda and boundaries, and it's received by understanding and acceptance, mm-hmm. then you see that like, it's okay to do that. Yeah. And that's where you can start to create that habit of like adhering to your own boundaries, I think. No, you're, you're spot on. So this is what I've done with my commitment to drink less and I'm already feeling much better. I've now taken what I told you I would do and that is 
when I'm going to have one, I make it zero. I get a sparkling water or something, even in a wine glass that um, substitutes. So I'm changing the habit. Instead of my old habit was this, I'll have that wine or I'll have that martini. And I literally like, it was so much of a habit that I, it, it sounded amazing in that moment. Yep. Now I've changed my habit over the last few weeks to what would be a better choice that'll make me feel better. Like uh, my, my new habit is inserting that question. Right. And now three quarters of the time, I'm ordering something that is a much better choice that then affects my meal, that then affects how I work out with you the next day. And I'm seeing the snowball effect working in my favor. So it really is just yep. about changing that default habit. Now, what do you, I want to expand this question, this concept to your other clients. And, and just to frame it, we live in one of the most expensive zip codes in the world. And your clients, so many of them are super high-end successful individuals that go to this super high-end gym. Um, what goals or traits do you see among your hard-driving, successful, whether they're entrepreneurs or whether the movie business, doesn't matter, clients that you constantly have to work on with them because they either come from a place of sabotage or no time or, or bad default habits? I think... I mean, you hit the nail on the head like this is to work at, a, at an Equinox in the US would be one thing. To work at Equinox in Santa Monica, California is a very different thing. And it's a very specific demographic of high-functioning, high-performing individuals who a lot of them work from home or they have flexible schedules. So they're in and out or they travel a lot. I think the interesting thing about as I've been like a fly on the wall in this building of success, the interesting thing to me is how fully someone can prioritize their business and their success monetarily and how much they forget to prioritize their own health and well-being. Oh, that hits right. home. <laughs> and the reason is because they love the challenge of success because it's hard, right? Becoming successful is very difficult. You have to hear way more no's than yeses. I mean, the, the list of cliches goes on and on, right? About why it's hard to be successful in the world and why a lot of people turn away at when things get difficult. These people, they become addicted to the success, addicted to watching other people flourish by the hard work that they put in, by seeing opportunity created within a company that they started, seeing the impact that it has, the philanthropic contributions, you know, all this stuff becomes very important. And what it does is it starts to, take over a, a greater and greater and greater percentage of their life, the more successful they become because the stakes are higher. Mm -hmm. If you're selling hot dogs on the beach and you don't show up for work one day, maybe you're out a hundred bucks. Yeah. If you have a Fortune 500 company and you take a couple of days off, the leader of the company is gone, the structure falls apart and God knows what else happens, mm -hmm. right? So it becomes so important to be on call 24-7 with a can-do attitude with a yes, I'll fly there kind of outlook on things. And then what happens as a result is everything else gets put into place by assistants, schedulers, planners, this and that. So from the outside of looking at this, oh, it's so sick. They, they fly private, private everywhere and they're always going to rad places. And then to that individual, it's like, I mean, show me a 15 minute break in your day. Yeah. For real. It's tough. Pull up your calendar. Now, tough. It's not going to happen. Yep. Right. To just to make this happen was like a month, too much yeah. process, right? So how do you get an individual like that in any industry to start going, I'm not going to go to the dinner where a six-figure contract is dependent on it. Yeah. Or I'm going to go to the dinner 
But with the people that I'm really trying to build this relationship with, I'm not going to drink the wine that they drink. Yeah, It's very easy for me to sit on this side of the table and be like, oh, well, just you know, order water instead. Mm-hmm. Very different when you're trying to build a relationship, when you're trying to have similarities and connections and you get a wine and then you're like, oh my God, we went to that vineyard or like whatever things mm-hmm. arise. So it's the biggest crux is getting these people to look at their life and insert or take out things that are in there because it's all part of the glue that's holding their thing together. So the best approach, I think, in habit forming is to be extremely reductionist Yeah, and go, okay, the habits, alcohol, that's a huge habit. Mm-hmm. That's an entire, that's months out of the year, right? Mm-hmm. So what leads into that? Okay, social demands or business building, networking meetings, you like make a Venn diagram, right? Of all the things that overlap with alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. And then you just start to work backwards, you work backwards, you work backwards. And everything's individual. So depending on who you're talking to or how you get them to navigate their own life, you're going to arrive at different things. But I've had people where it's as simple as an extra 30 minutes of sleep in the morning, followed by a, a five-minute session of like journaling or intention setting or meditation or something. That's the thing that changes. That's the needle mover, as you put it earlier. You just started to almost creep into what my next question was going to be. So now's the perfect time to bring this up. When you look at all your successful clients, and I know you give them advice, if you could take us all, sit us down, and design the non-negotiables or the perfect way to stay healthy while building our business, Mm -hmm. but also keeping in mind our time crunches, what would you design? What things would you put in there? 100%. 100%. Seven hours of Seven sleep. Hours of what sleep, else? Minimum. I think that, that if it was that easy, right? If yeah. you get all the successful people together and get them to do something overnight, sleep has the biggest bang for your buck. It has the biggest impact on hormone regulation, your ability to be present, attentive, refueled, your body to be regenerated, your muscles to recover. Like everything that matters happens while we're sleeping. But our perception on the world is that everything that matters happens while we're awake and doing stuff. Mm. So, and I see that, like, I really see this all the time. Again, the more successful the person, the shorter the sleep. And then the problem with that is they have now convinced themselves over the past 20 years that they're so successful because they don't need the sleep. Yeah. How many times do you hear friends say, oh, I only need four hours? Yep. I hear that all the time. I only need. Yep. And you have Tim Ferriss level people saying that down to people that just started their business. You have college kids saying that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I need four hours. I, do, I get my best scores on tests when I only sleep for four hours. <laughs> like, sure, it can work, but that doesn't mean it's optimal. So if we're talking about optimizing a life, and it's hard because it's intangible. How do you convince someone that if they slept for another four hours, had four hours less in the day, which is the hard pill for them to swallow, yeah. they'd be more present in meetings, They'd be a better networker. They'd build stronger relationships. They'd have better hormone regulation. They'd perform better in the gym. They're, I mean, the list goes like on of the positive outcomes from prioritizing sleep, sleep environment, and sleep hygiene. This goes back to the beginning of this podcast when you posed a question on me when we were working out right after New Year and you said, Hey, what is the one thing that you could? do or control that moves the needle and everything else. This is almost now coming full circle saying sleep Mm -hmm. is also one of those things where it's the one thing you could do that'll move the needle on everything else you're trying to accomplish easier. Yeah. And 
try to prioritize your sleep and drink alcohol at the same time. It's impossible. Impossible. Because the, the chemicals in alcohol prevent us from really getting the quality of sleep that we want. Yep. And I mean, the science backs that up heavily, mm-hmm. but also just ask anyone. Yeah. How, oh, how great do you really I'm sleep? I'm the first to say like, I long? might be passed out for seven, eight hours, but I wake up and I feel like I got no sleep. Right. Hit by a train. Yep. Go to a business meeting after that. Like it's not going to happen. So, but to be respectful of the time of your listeners and like scheduling, it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a big demand is to increase sleep. But at the end of the day, if we want change, that's the one thing that we can address that moves the needle on everything else. So yeah, it might be hard, but I say carve it out and build your other shit around it. Okay. So that's number one. What's another thing that you would say, this is crucial as hard charging, busy entrepreneurs that we must build into our day? Mindfulness practice. Expand. So I consider mindfulness practice as set aside meditation time. Like this is not yoga. It's not a hike. Those are, I consider active, but something where you take five to 10 minutes a day, you stop everything you're doing and you meditate either guided, which is what I prefer because the I waking up it. app, the one that you yeah, turned I, me on to. I love that. I like swear by that. I love Sam Harris. I think he's incredible and very pragmatic in his approach towards meditation. So he, there's basically the conversations that you have through the meditations. Sometimes he talks a lot, sometimes not very much. Again, I'm just using him as, a, as an example. It's a great app though. Um, it gives a little bit of structure, but you're also, it's just like training the body. Like, I don't know, what's the best way to get a good physique? Eat healthy and, tra- and train regularly. Your body won't change if you just hope it will, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you just do a little bit here or there. So our brains are the same way. They need to be trained. How do you be more present in the moment? You have to recognize what that even is. Mm-hmm. How do you even think about being present? Um, and I think that mindfulness as a standalone practice where you're actually dedicating time to it every day, the same way that you dedicate time to networking, you dedicate time to strategy meetings, you dedicate time to your fitness. It's something you're trying to actively improve. So having that time set aside each day is really beneficial and it compounds over time. But don't be hard on yourself. If you set aside 10 minutes a day and you do three and then skip two days and then you do once, like it's a process and it, it takes a long time to, again, build that into a habit. But I, from every high-level CEO that I've read about, listened to, I'm sure a million of your guests that you had on here, it seems to be a staple in everyone's day. So we got sleep. We have a mindfulness pro- uh, practice. Let's talk about moving our body. Obviously, you're a trainer, one of the absolute best in all of Los Angeles. Thank you. And which, congrats on your award last year. Super cool. Nomination. Nomination. (laughs) Well, dang near. (laughs) It's an elite company, put it that way. And um, so let's talk about moving our body. If we have very little time, Mm -hmm. lots of meetings, lots of travel, how many days a week and how long each day and what the hell should we be doing to get the best bang for our buck? Uh, This coronally goes back to the consistency is key thing. I think the best thing that you could do as a very busy person, someone who has a lot of social demands, personal demands, emotional demands, is take some time on a like whatever your least busy moment is, or if it doesn't exist, plan it five months from now. Take 30 minutes and look at 
how many how much time do you really have in the week like what's your minimum viable product for time available and whatever that is that's going to be your starting point whether that's one day a week could be five days a week seven days a week it doesn't matter because it has to be individual to the person to the point where they'll do it and then choose your favorite thing that you like to do are you a runner do you like working with your body weight do you love classes do you like the camaraderie of being in a group setting do you love soul cycle like whatever it may be just start to implement that thing in the available time that you have because then it's something you're being proactive about you're creating it it's something you'll look forward to because if you choose oh i'm going to i'm going to jump on this crazy 6 week program it's an hour and a 45 minute workout my buddy does it he's ripped and then you get day one and you're like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Or if you how, hate the type of workout. Or you hate it. How quickly will you just go, I'll do it later. Yeah. Because as a successful person, you're always weighing the value of your time. 100%. And if the value of your time is greater, not doing the thing that you're trying to do because you could do other stuff, what are you going to choose? Yeah. You'll choose the other thing 100%. So pick something that you know that you'll like. It could even be for someone who's living a really sedentary and successful lifestyle, it could be a walk around the block with your neighbor. Sure. If that's the thing that gets you out and, and moves you 20 minutes a day, hell yeah. This is really fascinating because instead of you saying, well, it must be hit or it must be this or it must be that, you're saying the answer is whatever you'll do most consistently is better than any other advice I'll give you. 1000%. Because if you like it, you'll do it. Right. Now, if you ask me, what's the best thing for a competitive skier in the seventh month <laughs> yeah. of their ski season with two comp, like that's a very different answer. But if it's how do you get the busy person to move the needle in the healthy direction, it's got to come from something that they're willing and excited to do. Okay, let me take this question a step further. Let's say someone says, I have a half an hour a day that I promise I can carve out. No matter what it is, I'm consistent. Tell me what to do in that half hour for the best bang for my buck. What do you think it would be? I would say, in all honesty, if if you have no like equipment available, if you have equipment available, grab a kettlebell and do Turkish get-ups and kettlebell swings. If you have absolutely no idea mm-hmm. what I just said, <laughs> um, Google it. Yeah, Google if you have it. no idea. Google it, <laughs> and then you'll know. Uh, if you don't have equipment available, run. We all know how to squat. We all know how to lunge. We all know how to do push-ups. Yep. Those three things that starts you on the path of strength training, some capacity, right? Because you're doing calisthenic movements. Mm-hmm. So. If you have a, if you can't do a push up, but you got a bench, do a push up on a bench. If you can't do a push up on a bench, but you got a wall, do a push up on a wall. Pushing, pulling, squatting, and lunging. That's like everything that you see in a gym. It's is free. Just a, it's just a progression of squatting, lunging, pushing, and pulling. Yeah, and it's free, and you can do it anywhere. Anywhere, which means there's literally no excuse to not do it. Man, that's fast. Okay, I want to switch gears for a moment. Yep. Um, we already framed that. You know, here you are, the top trainer in one of the most expensive. Uh, gyms in all of Los Angeles area here, and and your rank uh, as a trainer that there is is the highest that you could possibly be. So you see trainers come in and start their careers all the time, mm-hmm. and you and I always joke about the number that uh, you can almost look at them and say you're not going to be here in two months, and you can look at the other one and be like, oh, you are going to be here. So to me, being a trainer is the ultimate form of entrepreneurship because if you have a client, you eat. If you don't have a client, you don't eat. Right. So you're, you're literally eating what you kill. What is it that you see in those who make it versus those who don't in terms of traits that make them successful? I think that the biggest thing... 
I, in all honesty, I, I try to have a much better attitude about it now versus when I first started my career. Um, in that, I think that the right person with the right attitude can always be coached into being where they want to be. So right? be coachable. Right. So being coachable is huge. I think having, like, the, I think the biggest holdup, the biggest roadblock is the fact that, like, Nothing's in the, in this industry. Nothing's given to you, mm-hmm. so you you literally have to go out and get it. You have to put yourself out there. You have to walk up to people that are doing something that you know that they're doing wrong, and be confident enough in yourself to show them how to do something right. I think that you have to be willing to work an eighty hour week when you're only given fifteen hours of work. Like that's the biggest, the biggest mindset shift. And so I was fortunate enough to come out of like a a corporate job into, I was like, I want to get back into health and fitness and training. And so I'm going to become a trainer, like random shot in the dark. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I get there and I was so used to like showing up first, leaving last and working 60 hour weeks that then when they gave me 15 hours of scheduled work, I was like, but that's a fraction of part-time. And they were like, we know. And I was like, cool. Well, then I'm going to be here 80 hours a week. And that's how I did it. I just, I never left until my business was full. I mean, in any business, how true is that, right? Like, you have to be willing to do the workload of the person that you're trying to emulate, or else it's just not going to happen. Yep. Okay. So give me another trait those who make it, those who don't. First one sounds like it's show up, be consistent. What's the mm-hmm. next one? The next one is how you are approachable to people. You have to present yourself in a way that people feel comfortable coming up to you and asking things. Because if you don't carry yourself like a a personal trainer, a willingness to help, a passion to help people, an openness, right? You're closed off. If you just kind of snark at people like they're doing stuff wrong, Mm -hmm. like they don't know enough, judgmental, judgmental, then they're not going to, no one's ever going to feel comfortable. You have to be approachable. They have to be able to come up to you and say, Hey, uh, do you have that machine that does this? And you're like, yes, let me show you. Like, we don't have that, but let me show you a way to do something else. Mm-hmm. Or as long as that door is open, then that's something that is going to invite business in your life. And that could be, I mean, that could be true for anything, even entrepreneurial, right? Like your willingness to help other people who are curious about entrepreneurship makes you a stronger entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. If you're closed off, no, well, you'll figure it out. You're just kind of an idiot right now. No one's ever going to want to learn from you. No one's ever going to want to participate in things that you put out. You're growing your brand because you give back to the community that is interested in you. Love people enough, care about people enough to be approachable and not judgmental in any business you're in. It's going to unfold in your favor, isn't it? Yeah. And you got to be hungry, like legit hungry. I think when I quit my previous job, I had... 1500 bucks my bank account and mm-hmm. my parents gave me like a pat on the back and they yeah. were like that'll make you hungry out here kid. and i was yeah. like shit <laughs> if i don't make this happen i'm legit going to move back to colorado absolutely not like that was non-negotiable so for me when you're thrown in the water you only have two options and that was like thankfully i put myself in that position yeah. i jumped off the boat right yeah. but if i wasn't in that position if i had a security blanket if I had a plan B or C, I would have relied on it. Oh, so you almost got to burn the boats. 
I think really you do sometimes. Man. But that's scary, right? Yeah. That's but the, risky. But because it's scary is what holds everyone else back. Yeah. Okay, you have you work with so many wealthy clients. Um, they come from all different walks of life. On this show, we talk a ton about money mindset. So I've got two questions for you. One's going to be about the type of people you work with. The other one's going to be about um, you charging what you charge as a trainer. And um, so let's start with the clients you work with. When you come across all of these wealthy individuals and you get to know them and you see how they behave and act and the things that they say, what is your overall opinion about successful, wealthy people being the fly on the wall, as you mentioned earlier? That's an interesting question. Yep. Philosophy Friday, baby. I think I see I see a lot of both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. I see people that are very genuine in in their wealth and their desire to like truly impact the community and the space around them. And then I see the opposite of that. I see people that I think are really caught up in their wealth. And I think it's hurting them more than it's helping them. Mm-hmm. And as much as it's brought them into a place of success, it may have brought them into a place of complacency and unhappiness because they're realizing that the things that absolutely matter the most at the end of the day, like love, companionship, a good at you know, like a well-being, a general well-being, a presentness in wherever you are, you cannot buy those. You can't. You can't go to you can't pay most money in the world for well-being. Right. Can't. And there are millions of extremely wealthy, wildly unhappy people. Granted, there's millions of very unwealthy, wildly unhappy people. So I see both types of people come in and out of the building. And I think that like, the difference maker is how present that person is in their day-to-day life. That was going to be my question is... Everyone who listens to this, they aspire to be successful. And you know, one of those definitions of success is to have an abundance of wealth. How do we end up like the happy person, not the unhappy person? I think you have to be where you are. Oh, you know? I love, be where your feet are. Yeah. Be where, like, stand where you're at because there's all the lessons that you are trying to figure out. They're all right there. But when we're constantly aspiring for more, 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 bigger, 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 you're not there. Yeah. You're in the, the hope for the what next could thing. be right, and there's like, and that's I mean, at any level of wealth, right? If you you move into the mansion, but the guy next door has a mansion and a helicopter, yeah. So what do you want? A helicopter. So you buy one, and then what's the guy next to you have? Private jet. Right. So like, you are like you're always going to be surrounded by your peers within the group of success that you're in. You're probably if you're making, you know, ten million dollars a year. You're probably not hanging out with people that make $100,000 a year. Probably hanging out with people that make $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to make you want what the people who make $20 million a year. Instead of appreciating where you're at. Right. And we talk about this all the time. Yeah. Like, is there a magic number? Is there a spot when you want, it, want any more? And I'll, I'll par- like not quote you here, but what I always get from you is that the pursuit of wealth is exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you want. I mean, this, the lifestyle that you live in California is incredible. We were just talking about how like, peaceful it is to sit in your backyard in the middle of LA mm-hmm. where we don't really feel like we're in the middle of LA because of the way that you've made it, right? Yeah. That's awesome. But at the same time, I don't think that moving that needle up to 100 million to two, like, you know that that's not going to bring you 
happiness. Nope. But it does allow you to... Uh, what did you say the other day? It allows you more happiness peaks. Yeah. More chances at happy moments. Yeah. And helps eliminate uh, the chances of unhappy moments. Right. But you are absolutely correct that there becomes this certain level. So if you're making $50,000 a year living in Santa Monica, you are setting yourself up for a lot of potential unhappy moments because it's such a damn expensive city. But if you're making, you know, five or $10 million a year in Santa Monica, you've eliminated a lot of those chances at unhappy moments. But now let's take a step further. You're making $100 million in Santa Monica. I don't think it's 10 times better in terms of eliminating some of those possibilities of unhappy moments. There becomes almost this, this law of diminishing returns where you already took care of those problems and now it's just more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, I mean, the podcast is about money, right? Money is, it's a, it's an interesting thing for you and I to talk about because we're both at very different financial places in our lives, right? Yeah. I mean, that goes without saying. Uh, but there's lessons that you can take from both. And there, I think that there's mindsets and ways of looking at the li- uh, life that allow you happiness and well being in the present moment, whether you're either of us. I think that's why I love training with you so much, by the way, and why we've become friends over the years is what you just said. Not one person has it made. There's lessons you take from both. I love that you go surfing as much as you do and you love just bobbing up and down in the water. <laughs> and I love the simplicity at which you and Lauren just go to the farmer's market and just hang out and just do some things that make you 10 out of 10 happy. And you and your meditation practice that you turned me on to and everything else, I have borrowed so much from your life that makes me happy or keeps me grounded. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. It's, there's not one winning position. It's borrowing from the best of each situation. Mm-hmm. I get tripped up sometimes because I'm like... I always think about, about finances, about mm-hmm. money, security. I watched some instability in my like upbringing. I wasn't like, we were fine, but mm-hmm. I watched how my parents handled money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, noted. Like, I'm going to make sure that I make it a point to have my ducks in a row, mm-hmm. to have my finances set up to be secure. Mm-hmm. Right. And then sometimes I'm like, well, if I woke up tomorrow and I had $500 million in my bank account, like, mm-hmm. what would I do differently? What would I actually do if I'd never had to go into work again? And I swear... You'd do the same shit. I swear. I would like train people sometimes. Uh-huh. I would surf. I pro- Everything I surf do... Surf more, I, train less. I would just do in more extravagant locations, right? Like, I wouldn't just ski in Mammoth every once in a while. I'd only go heli skiing. Yeah. yeah. And then I wouldn't like surf in San Monica. I'd, I'd just go surf in like Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Bali. Like that was yeah. all I would do. And so it kind of talks to like what you were just saying. Like, okay, those things are more expensive, period. You mm-hmm. cannot argue that. Going to Bali costs more than driving to Venice, period. So like to sit here and say that money is not important, it doesn't exist, is dumb mm-hmm. because it does. It matters for certain things. But you get to decide what those things that matter to you are. If the pursuit of success and excellence and building businesses exciting you, that matters. Mm -hmm. If surfing, local beach breaks, 10-minute walks from your house matters, then that's all that matters. And then you get to decide how important is the scale of money to accomplish those things that mean the most to you. For some people, it's their dog and their family, right? Mm -hmm. And they they don't want to travel or go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I know people that don't want to travel. 
I don't want to go anywhere. And that, like, that's fine. If that makes you happy, that's awesome. You need less money to do that. Yeah. If you want to go and see the whole world and travel around, you can go and like, we kind of roughed our trip to, to Europe. We went, we, we like purposely did it cheap so we could go tons of different places and travel around. Would that trip been different if we were staying at the Four Seasons everywhere? Hell yeah, it would have. Some parts yes, some parts no, actually. True. Yeah. So it's finding the thing that drives you, that gives you enough security to not have the stresses of financial instability, but gives you like enough to maximize your enjoyment and all the things that you love. Man, that is really awesome advice and a really awesome frame. You as a trainer, um, I pay almost a couple hundred bucks an hour or two. And so many, so many times on the show, we talk about the starving artist syndrome or the trainers who are afraid to ask their worth. And this town is rampant full of people still charging, you know, 40 bucks an hour, 60 bucks an hour. What is your advice to anyone in any um, type of career who isn't charging what they're worth, who's afraid to ask for the premium price for what they put out there? How are you confident asking for the premium price and why are other people not? What's your advice to them? I think it, it definitely depends a little bit on industry. Like, I charge what I charge because of the education level that leaves, leads up to that, right? So like, it's been over 200 plus hours of continuing education, years full of curriculum and workshops, plus the certification, plus at this point, six years of experience. And... I know that I'm worth that amount because I've seen the impact that it has on people's lives, right? Like if you come to me and you've got a herniated disc and a meniscus tear, I know how to train you and keep you healthy and moving. I know how to make that injury not prevent you from living your life. What if I have an infected belly button? Can you train around that? That is an absolute non-starter. You need to to stay home. But that... it. Like when you do that once, you know your worth. When you do it a couple times, you see that like, how much would you pay to have the back, the herniated disc in your back, not prevent you from living life? Like anything, right? All, all of it, right? Because it's it's preventative to enjoying everything. So when you're doing things like that, and you're able to help people through those things. You start to understand why the cost is what it is because it's worth that much. Mm-hmm. Granted. That again, it comes with experience. And I think that in any industry, the reason that people don't charge a higher cost is because they don't have, they don't think that they're worth that. Mm -hmm. That's why, right? That's why they chose the cost that they chose. So if you're someone who's sitting there and you're really struggling on actually making the dollar amount more for your, your course, for your service, for whatever it is, and the confidence is going to continue to prevent you from doing that. Ask yourself, how can I build more confidence? Is there more certification that you can take, more education that you can get? Is there a mentorship program that you can reach out to? Is there someone you look up to that you could shadow for free, be willing to work for free to get experience? Because then that's something that you can lean on. Man, I love that. So in other words, go find anything you can to build your confidence because that confidence is really what you're pricing out. It's yeah, where the absolutely. value comes from. Like, why do you charge what you charge? Because I'm absolutely confident it's worth it because I've seen the results. Right. And does it does that cost more than it did 10 years ago? Yeah, significantly more. Right. Because you get confident in your service because you like a, a fast fast foundation just rolls out and you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, 
this has an impact on people. Mm-hmm. And you know that because people are reaching out to you saying, hey, Chris, this has an impact on me. Yeah. And then you're like, okay. And it doesn't go, well, I bet I could charge them more. That's not the point. No. Nope. The point is that the service should cost more because it's going to get more buy-in from the people that are doing it. Because if you, if you up your cost by $5,000 and you fill five more spots, mm-hmm. that's how bad people want to do it. Yep. So you're not to blame for that. That's really true. So until you get to the point where you can't fill the spots that you're trying to fill, you haven't priced yourself high enough probably. Right. The market will always dictate. The market's the a feedback. Yeah. I love that. Okay. First of all, I totally appreciate the time you spent with us. It's flown by. And um, I appreciate everything that you do for me in my life because it allows me to then show up for all the listeners in the way that I do. So I just wanted to thank you publicly. It means the world to me. 100% thank you. Where can everybody tap into you and follow you and find you? Um, you can find me on Instagrams at Abe Maynard. I train out at Equinox in Santa Monica, California. So if you live nearby, um, hit this man up. Come by. Yep. I won't give my home address. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, or email at abe at abemaynard.com. All right, cool. So last question, if you ask everyone this question, it'll be interesting to get your perspective. Um, give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. The world's out there waiting for your gift. And so if you want to sit and, and hold back and not provide it, cool. The world will never get it. But if you are willing to put yourself out there, take a risk, Every single person that you've ever looked up to, idolized, tried to emulate, they did that step already. Wow. Dude, that's awesome. Appreciate the hell out of you. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Everybody, DM us at Abe Maynard, at Chris W. Harder. Let us know what you think. And um, if you guys like it, I will wrangle him back here again to ask more questions and go down more rabbit holes with Philosophy Friday. This was fun. Just like I had a pretty asking good time. super <laughs> random ass questions. Yeah. This is really fun to actually do it for public. Too, so. Well, you and I both. Yeah. So that's what that's what makes for a good show. All right, man. I appreciate you. I can't thank you awesome. enough. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.